Hi, everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. See me catastrophizing there? Tony? I did. I did. I was trying to think of how am I going to leave the transition in. Damn it. He came out right to get. So, Dr. Wignall, I have a lot of clients who have this behavior of catastrophizing. They will constantly predict the worst outcomes, um, predict scenarios that are far beyond what is probably going to happen. Um, they're extremely judgmental of themselves. They, this catastrophizing extends to a lot of different um, types of behavior, types of different thought. Um, and, it's, and it's a pretty brutal... Condition. Oh, so it's not just something terrible is going to happen. It's I'm going to do the worst thing. The worst thing. The worst possible outcome that yeah. one could imagine. That's that's the thing that they bank on. They just started dating someone. The person's amazing. They feel really good. Seems like a great relationship. I know I'm going to screw it up. I'm going to screw it up. You know, they're going to hate me. Afterwards. They're going to never going to tell all my friends right. what a jerk I am. Right. I'm up for this uh, promotion at work. Um, probably I won't get the promotion. And they might actually, when they review kind of my application, they might fire me mm, because yeah. they'll see that I'm inadequate and... And then I'll never get a job because I'll never I have get bad a job references. Again and I'll, uh, homeless you know, under a bridge. You know what? Homeless under a bridge yep. is kind of an endpoint for a lot of the catastrophizing. Um, do you see this a lot in your clients? Yeah, sure. None of them call it catastrophizing. Um, but as they, they usually call it like, um, I always go to the worst case scenario. Worst or case scenario. I always think the worst mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is going to happen. And then I ca- I say, oh, you mean catastrophizing? And they go, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's exactly that's, what it is. They like light up because like. yeah. it, an it resonates so it. well yeah, yeah, with what they do. So I think it's kind of validating for people that it's like, oh, I'm not the only one mm-hmm, <laughs> who mm-hmm. does this. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes people just understanding that there is a, a, a mm-hmm. term for that can lend you some. So I definitely see this with my clients. Um, but here's the other thing too. I I do it too. And I think most people do it to some extent. So like if something, um, like I, I remember when I was a kid having, um, not a kid, like I was in college and like having like stomach pain, this like acute kind of stomach pain out of mm-hmm. nowhere. It didn't feel like a stomach ache. It was like, like this sharp like pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I distinctly remember when, that when I first felt it going to like, my appendix ruptured mm-hmm. like I'm gonna get sepsis and it's probably too late even if I got to the hospital right now like that would be it <laughs> yeah <laughs> right yeah. or and just like or like I what if I have a tumor or like running through worst case scenarios right but then you know after a few minutes of that I was like okay wait a second my mom's appendix ruptured I'll call her so I talked to her she's like no nah, like my ru- mine ruptured but it was hurting for a long time right. before and then I still made it to the hospital and so it's probably not that. Um, and she kind of said, you know, well, wait a little bit, do something. If it's still there for a while, just call your doctor and make an appointment. And, right. Um, and sure enough, it was fine. It went away. It wasn't anything. Yeah. Um, so, I, but my point is like, I would not consider myself a catastrophizer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't do it all the time or a lot, but I think this tendency to think of the worst case scenario is not at all uncommon. Well, it's probably adaptive in some way, right? I mean, what do you mean adaptive? Well, I guess evolutionarily speaking, y- you don't want to ignore um, things like pain 
right? You mm-hmm. don't you don't want to ignore those things. And there's there's a kind of natural desire to stay alive, mm-hmm. to stay good, I guess. And so anything that that appears to be threatening that um, is seen as a threat, and that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, and then there may be some advantage to kind of assuming the worst, mm. possibly. Yeah, so in some way it might be helpful or advantageous. Yeah, and in a conservative kind of way to kind of, to conservatively kind of think the worst um, may be protective in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so... But I think I think that's important. Like, it's not you don't have like faulty genes because you <laughs> catastrophize. Like, a we all do it to some extent. Mm-hmm. Everybody does mm-hmm. it to some extent, um, and that's probably be the case because it's in the correct dosage. It's probably a, a helpful thing. Sure, it's probably, probably contributed to our survival as a species. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Helpful right? in some ways, yeah. So I think that's just super important right off the bat. Is just like sit with that for a second and give yourself the validation and space to recognize like, okay, it's, I'm not broken because I tend to go to the, the worst case scenario. There's something kind of helpful about that maybe. Yeah. Now, if it gets out of control, obviously it can, like anything, if you push it to an extreme, it's probably not going to be super helpful. And that, that I think is uh, where we meet most of our clients or patients. It's, yeah. It's we see people who space where they're chronically catastrophize all sorts of things. Well, and, and, um, Using your example, uh, you felt the pain, you wondered about it, you catastrophized a little bit, and then you took some steps to kind of figure out, okay, what is going on here? Yeah, which maybe is a difference between, like, instead, you could imagine an an alternate timeline where I just lay there for, like, hours Mm -hmm. worrying about, Mm -hmm. thinking about all those worst-case scenarios. Right, and that tends to be something uh, my patients do as well. They Mm -hmm. spend a lot of time worrying and, and replaying those catastrophic predictions or mm-hmm. um, catastrophic fears. A lot of times it's just fear, really. Yeah. really. Now, what do, you, what do your clients say? Um, do they have a theory for this? Like, why do they do this? Oh, I, I think a lot of people who catastrophize will say that they want to be prepared for any possibility. Mm-hmm. That they, they, they do that in a way because there is something they're unsure about and they want to be ready for what's to mm-hmm. come. So what's the problem then? If they think it's helping them, why are they in therapy talking to you about it? Most of the time, um, we'll go through that kind of assessment and then I'll actually add, ask them how many of those things have come true. How many? How often do those things actually happen? Mm. Usually it's rare to almost never. Right. Um, and so there I think is, is from, from my perspective as a psychologist, I look at all of that worry then as a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Um, that you're, you're, they're spending an inordinate amount of time and therefore a lot of stress um, because that worrying comes with an emotional price oh, yeah. um, for nothing. Anxiety and stress and mm-hmm. tension and yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of just emotional pain. But it's interesting that it, it, it seems to fit a pretty common pattern all of us struggle with in some way or another, which is in the moment something seems like the right thing to do or feels like the right thing to do. But in the long run, maybe not so helpful. Right, so you very generously today brought donuts to the office. I did, I did. <laughs> and I looked in at that box of donuts and thought, mm, those look amazing. <laughs> so I tried a piece. Mm-hmm. I, I like mm-hmm. cut off a little, like you know, like a quarter of a donut. And mm-hmm. thought, mm, that's good. I want more. Mm-hmm. And I knew, like, you know what? That was good. That was satisfying. <laughs> that was yummy. Right. right? But I, I definitely don't need more. In fact, not only is it, you know, kind of extra calories, but like, 
I usually don't feel super great after I eat a donut or two. Mm-hmm. Like it tastes good going down, but it doesn't really feel good. Yeah. I know this. I actually thought about that as I was staring down <laughs> at the donuts. And then in my best like Homer Simpson <laughs> imitation, I just like stuffed one into my face anyway. Didn't matter. Yeah. Right. So I, I knew that probably wasn't good for me in the long run. Mm-hmm. Not the end of the world, obviously, but I did it anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think now the reason I say that is because I think basically people who are kind of stuck in this habit of catastrophizing or, or worrying a lot, it's a really similar struggle that all of us face in some area of our life, whether it's spending money or eating too much or and whatever we're it is. doing something that we know was probably not good for on us. some level. We kind of know in the long run that this probably isn't good for us, mm-hmm. but we feel kind of compelled to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. We have a hard time resisting. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Why would you say it's so difficult to resist that urge? So the first possible explanation is habit, right? So anything can, there doesn't have to be like a particularly complex explanation for Mm -hmm. kind of compulsive, unhelpful behavior. Sometimes we just get ourselves into habits of doing. So it, it might be that you growing up, you're, dad worried a lot and catastrophized and you sort of watched him and you just like kids, you just kind of, you pick that up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you just kind of kept doing it and it like, you know, turned into this habit and you just find yourself doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's one possibility you don't want to discount. Um, but then the, the other one is, well, like you said, I think it, people think that there's some rationality to it. Like, yes, I am preparing for the worst is not necessarily a bad thing. So I think what you have to think about is in that moment when you're thinking, yeah, you know what though, this could be, it could be that thing. If it is, I should make a plan for that. Mm-hmm. That, that feels smart. And whatever that feeling is, it's like, I'm a responsible person or I'm, I'm prepping competent for, yeah, or this. yeah, I'm taking charge, mm-hmm. right? I'm doing something, even just control like agency. Right. feels like you can, the ability to, very temporarily feel like you can do something about this problem. Even if it's just in your head, kind of planning for something. Or even just identifying what's going to happen. Yeah. Because oftentimes these things are accompany a question mark of some sort. Right. So I I think this gets at a really important idea, which is if you ask someone, how are you feeling when you're catastrophizing? They'll tell you, oh, awful, like super anxious, you know, just totally anxious. It's very rare, though, I think, that we feel just one emotion at a given time. Mm-hmm. So if you, what I do with my clients a lot is I, I have them ask themselves, okay, the next time you're in a situation like this, identify that really loud emotion, the big one, mm-hmm. right? But then ask yourself, like, is that all I'm feeling? Are, are there other feelings going on here? Mm-hmm. So with catastrophizing, you might feel a little bit of like, shame that you're doing the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I talked about this last week in therapy and here I go again. Right. right? So there's a little bit of shame there too. But the the real kicker I think is when people start to realize something that seems like a negative, like catastrophizing in some way can actually make you feel good. Right. It can give you a feeling of like, I'm in control. I have some control here. I'm doing something. Yeah. A little bit of like power and agency. And I think that can go a long way to explain why people worry or catastrophize, even though they know in the long term it's not good. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like me and the donut, right? Why would I do this if I know I'm not going to feel good and it's not good for me? Tastes good in the moment. Yeah, in the moment it does taste good, right? 
most of the experiences of the donut is like, why did I eat that? (laughs) (laughs) Like the half hour afterwards. But for that, like five seconds while it's going down, mm, great, that's good. Mm -hmm. And because that's the feeling that comes right after the action, because it's positive, it reinforces the action. Right. It gets in the way of the negative later, the bad feeling. Right. That doesn't affect the likelihood of the action happening again. Right. Because it's all about the one that happens right afterwards. Mm. So with worry, the reason, the reason I think oftentimes worry or catastrophizing gets reinforced and maintains itself as a habit, even though it leads to usually nothing good, it's because in the split second when you're actually worrying, I, and this is a, the challenge I would put to people, I would argue it does feel good. Just like a donut feels good mm. for a millisecond. Going down, right. So what, what, what do you think? Do you buy that? That's, I don't think that's a particularly common or popular opinion of why we catastrophize or worry. But I, I, I buy that. Um, I, I don't know that it feels good in the moment. It, it might, though. I'll have to think about that one. But I do think that there is a strong belief that worrying helps me or that catastrophizing helps me prepare for bad outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, that I've definitely had endorsed, but I, I haven't done what you've done in kind of asking patients, well, what else are you feeling in there? Because it could be that they identify, you've had some kind of identify, well, there is something good about that. Yeah, and who knows whether this is just a demand characteristic and people wanting to, <laughs> they don't want me to look bad, but <laughs> I almost always people come back and they say, yeah, you know what? It did kind of, something. they, they can't articulate the feeling exactly, but it's like, yeah, it did sort of, it made me feel like, in control like I could do yeah. something and then what what further happens is the next experiment is okay let's do it again but I really try just very briefly for 30 seconds don't what hap- how do you feel when you don't mm-hmm. and what inevitably happens is people describe some version of feeling helpless on top mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. feeling scared and ashamed and whatever right. else so to me if they feel helpless when they don't do it that kind of implies that they feel um, agency or control when they do do it. Yeah, I had a client once tell me, um, I asked them if they didn't, if they could stop their rumination or if they could disengage from that rumination, uh, what would their experience of this particular situation be like? And they said they would feel like they're turning their back on a train coming down the tracks at them. Oh. They, they said, I, I won't know what's going on. Yeah. You know, I won't see this horrible thing that's about to happen. Whereas if I worry, I'm fo- I, I can actually see what's happening. I can, mm-hmm. I can better predict what's going to happen to me, which was interesting. Yeah. So that was an interesting metaphor because mm-hmm. we definitely talked about why are you standing on the tracks? <laughs> <Right>. But, um, <laughs> but it, it was an interesting, um, kind of use of a metaphor on their part to say, you know, here, here's the feeling I will get if yeah. I stopped worrying. Uh-huh. If I didn't Which worry. maybe tells you something about the feelings they're getting when they are worrying. Right, right. Um, okay, so obviously understanding a little bit more about why you worry is is probably helpful. If for no other reason that it's kind of validating. It's not just like there's something broken in me or I'm a terrible person because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I worry a lot. There, mm-hmm. there are perfectly good reasons why people end up doing these things that they know are not helpful in the long right. run. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really important actually is to kind of validate it first. Um, yeah. But then what do you actually do? So what do you recommend? How do you help people undo this habit of catastrophizing or going to the worst case scenario all the time? Well, there's a few different ways you can kind of attack that problem. I think one kind of really helping your your 
client or really understanding for yourself that you're doing that and that, I mean, even, even by defining it as catastrophizing, you're kind of lending, lending some description mm-hmm. to this is like, this is extreme. Oh, okay. This is severe. And so pointing that, that behavior out oftentimes can kind of lead to a little bit more insight into, wow, my predictions tend to be pretty wildly negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we work on different thought processes that might actually help them gauge outcomes more effectively or, or more, um, like what, what's, a, what's an example of one of those? Well, I like to point out on, on a bell curve of probabilities, they're really good at kind of predicting the left side of that curve, the, mm. the really awful, um, possible outcomes. Infrequent, but terrible. Infrequent, but terrible. But they don't ever really predict the opposite side of that curve where oh, things go hmm. really well, too, mm-hmm. right? Um, or even in the middle where outcomes are just kind of so-so. Um, and so one of the things that we, we try practicing a lot is kind of can we come up with alternative probabilities mm-hmm. and alternative kind of um, possible outcomes and see which ones tend to show up more in our lives. Gotcha. Right? So we actually kind of document and... Hmm. Um, collect data on how often do my predictions come true versus mediocre out, mediocre outcomes versus good outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can tend to inform someone's behavior quite well Yeah, at times. Hmm. Cool. One exercise we mm-hmm. go over every once in a while. The other one, though, is, is to really practice disengaging from worry, to recognize that you're doing it and direct your mind's attention mm. somewhere else, kind of yeah. a mindfulness exercise. Yeah, I do, I do a version of that that I, I call it the 555 drill. Okay, <laughs> tell me. Which is, I use it for all sorts of things, but it, it works for this too. Um, so one of the reasons I think worry is, um, is so hard to disengage from is because it, so let's say I'm, you know, I'm worrying about, um, I don't know, failing, you know, just this job interview and I know, I just know it's going to go terribly and I'm going to feel like an idiot and I just keep, I keep worrying about it, right? So I try and disengage, but then that thought pops into my head again. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to screw this up and I'm never going to get this job. Um, <clears throat> and it feels, it, it's hard work to keep your attention off of something that's screaming at you to pay attention to it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It feels bad to keep your attention off of the thing your brain wants to go to, right? Well, it feels bad to find your brain on the thing that you've told yourself <laughs> not to think about or to go to, right? Yeah, it feels bad to have a worry screaming at you. And mm-hmm. to not respond to it. Right. To have the screaming. It's like when your kid's screaming, throwing a tantrum. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of times you know, I shouldn't reinforce this by engaging right. with it, but it's really hard to just let your, your kid scream yeah. in the middle of the supermarket. <laughs> right? Um, so I think one of the reasons we, we give in is because, it again, it, it temporarily mm-hmm. feels better to just acknowledge this thing and try and get it to shut up. To engage it, right? yeah. So it's a little bit like weightlifting. You, you have resistance when you're doing this hard thing which is keeping your attention off of mm-hmm. the worry. Mm-hmm. But the more you do it, the stronger you get, the easier it gets mm-hmm. to resist. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of, I think of it like weightlifting. You got to build up slowly. Mm-hmm. So the 555 drill is this thing where I'm worried about this job interview I've got. I'm trying to worry about it. So what I do is I say, okay, for five minutes, I'm going to set a timer on my phone. For five minutes, I'm not going to worry. I, I'm going to keep my attention on you know whatever the email I have to write. After my alarm goes off, I'll go back to that worry. Mm-hmm. I give mm-hmm. myself permission to go back to it. But for five minutes, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Right? And I have them rate how anxious they feel, like how aversive they're feeling in the moment. Then the five minutes goes. 
and the alarm goes off and I say, okay, after the alarm, the alarm goes off, rate again, how anxious do you feel? Mm-hmm. And they write it down, right? And they think about the word for a minute, but then they do another five minutes. And I say, okay, great. So do it again for five minutes. But after that five minutes, you can go back to it. And then after that five minutes, same thing. I rate again, how anxious do you feel? How bad mm-hmm. do you feel? So I do that three times, five, 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 right? And what almost inevitably happens is their, the, their rating of their own anxiety tends to go down over time. Mm-hmm. So it's not as bad as they think it's going to be, even right. just a little bit. Even if it's, they said it was an eight, and then the second time it's a seven, and then the next time it's a six or a five, mm. right? What that, show, what that shows is your, that bad feeling will go away on its own mm-hmm. with time. You don't mm-hmm. have to do anything. Right. You don't have to talk to it and get it to shut up. It will naturally decrease in intensity on its own. Is the, is the, the middle five the worst rating sometimes when they are worrying? Wouldn't that increase their... Generally, it's a, it's a steady decline. Really? People, yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's, it depends on the person bit. and the situation, but almost always in general, it's there. Because if you think about it, they're catastrophizers. So they're also going to catastrophize how badly they're going to feel not mm-hmm. worrying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what this shows is, it, like you, it's giving them actual data that my prediction is off. Right. What I'm imagining doesn't actually what I think end up happening. happening. Isn't happening, right? And so it's it's not me telling them, oh, you don't worry about it; it's going to be fine, like, <laughs> right? Because that's right. just a hypothetical. Right. This is real. It gives them real data of I cannot focus on my worry, and it feels a little bit bad in the short term, but it ends up being fine. It's not right. this awful. Just like if I had instead of actually eating the donut, if I had not eaten the donut, I would have felt that like desire for, I don't know, a couple minutes, but it would have gone away. Yeah. I would have got distracted by something else. Yeah. And it's not like my day would have been ruined because right. I didn't eat the donut, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the same thing happens with any kind of emotional pull. Sure, sure. So the 555 drill is good for building emotional tolerance. Yeah. Um, I can see that. that. That exercise seems to make a lot of mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Catastrophizing is, is really present in depression, anxiety. There's There's lots of disorders where you see... Um, catastrophizing is kind of a general behavior that happens mm-hmm. where people are just constantly predicting the worst outcomes. And according to the theories that we kind of work by, what you think is also going to have an impact on how you feel. And so it, as you can imagine, if you're constantly catastrophizing, you're going to constantly have these really extreme emotional um, experiences as well. So targeting and catastrophizing is a good thing for mm-hmm. everybody to kind of keep in mind. You don't want to go too catastrophic. (laughs) Probably not a good idea. Hey, everyone. Nick and I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Please rate us on iTunes if you get a chance. And if you have any feedback or comments for us, that'd be great as well. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in the podcast, let us know in the comment section as well. Thanks. Thanks.